Hey, Dark Tome listeners. Fred here with the second part of our collaboration with Point Mystic, the Curious History of the Dark Tome, part two. Last time, we heard from Mary San Giovanni about some of the strange circumstances involved in the loss of her grandfather, Professor Joe Ricci, uh, which may have involved a strange artifact called the Dark Tome. In this episode, we learn more about these strange events and how they connect to the timeline of Dark Tome seasons one and two, and in particular, the backstory of the cantankerous Mr. Gussie. Um, should go without saying that. Uh, listen to part one first. Thank you so much, Christopher Renaga, for making this happen. It's been quite fun as we explore the curious history of the Dark Tome. And if you like what you hear, check out Point Mystic, the podcast at pointmystic.org or search Point Mystic wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy. The Dark Tome, that book. When he first died, I for a while, I, I was... I thought, like, is this, you know, is this somehow my fault because I touched the book? I touched the book that I wasn't supposed to touch, that that nobody was supposed to touch because the books in that safe uh, were dangerous. But, you know, he had told me it was a book that was going to make the world better. And I I think he believed it. I think he, he really thought that. But now, now I'm not really so sure. I'm Christopher Reynaga, and this is Point Mystic. Each episode we speak about stories behind the myths and legends, the unexplained, the magical. Today we bring you the second and final chapter in the tragic death of Dr. Joseph Ricci, the destruction of his research into doors to other worlds, and of the disappearance of one of the most infamous books in occult history. The Dark Tome. The floodgates of Willow Hill. Do you know what happened to your grandfather at Willow Hill in 1955? Uh, Sam knew. My mother, Samantha, she knew. She was there. She survived. And I mean she survived because... She was a young girl, and she was, you know, safe in her bed, back in town. But I know that whatever was out in those woods killed our family. Uh, First, it killed her parents. And then it killed Great Uncle Ted. And then it killed several others. The floodgates of Willow Hill is one of the few deeply researched cases that survived Ricci's death. The details survive in the famous case study published in the New England Journal of Supernatural Studies. In 1955, Dr. Joseph Ricci finally discovered one of the floodgates he had been searching for for so long, in an unnamed story of the Dark Tome. That story led him into the backwoods of New England, to a place called Willow Hill. Strange sightings had plagued Willow Hill for years, and Ricci arrived in time to find the floodgates were fully open, and that otherworldly creatures were beginning to kill anyone who wandered too close to the gates. Using the Dark Tome as his weapon, Ricci assembled a party of Willow Hill townspeople to fight back the monsters and close the floodgates of Willow Hill. They managed to do so at great price. No one knows yet 
what caused bodies scattered over a wide area. Several nearby residents thought an atomic bomb had dropped. Throughout the day, police, firemen, civil defense workers, and federal investigators... While Ricci was able to close the gates with his occult knowledge, he was one of the only survivors. She said, I'm scared. It was the wail of sirens one after another that frightened the girl. Well, it's why Grandpa Joe eventually adopted my mother uh, and helped her get into the university. She was orphaned too. She was the only one in our family left alive by what happened out there. And I, I think that Grandpa Joe saw that, you know, she she was wicked smart, really smart. She was driven. She wanted to be educated and she loved books. She wanted to be uh, well-read, and I think he appreciated that. I think he, he saw something. He saw a fellow reader, a fellow uh, searcher of, of knowledge, and, and I think he, he wanted to help foster that. Uh, now, I don't think he told her the real details of what happened uh, out there, but uh, at least not until she was an adult. I, I, but I'll tell you, I, I think she already knew. Uh, I, sometimes I think when something really bad happens to you or happens to your family, something really tragic, I think that thing connects to you somehow. It, it bonds itself to you and you just sort of know, you can just sort of feel its effects and, and, and feel it. I was going to say feel it coming for you, but maybe that sounds crazy. But I think that's how my mother felt. I think she already knew what happened out in Willow Hill. And I think it damaged her emotionally. It made her... Well... I can't really say that my mother ever really mothered me. She... She could be cold, and sometimes you'd talk to her, and... So, I can't, like I said, I can't really say that she mothered me. She she wasn't really that kind of mom, but that was more Grandpa Joe's role. He's the one that raised me. The tragic events at Willow Hill changed Ricci forever. He'd confirmed, for himself at least, what his mentor, the Magus, had believed was true. That somewhere beyond these other worlds dwelled a dark force waiting to devour every world it could touch bringing the full influence of Miskatonic University to bear. Ricci began to cautiously use the book to study doorways to other worlds, some like our own, others so strange as to be alien, searching for evidence of worlds tainted by this dark force. It would prove to be an elusive search. But Ricci was committed. With the dark tome in his possession, he vowed that what happened to Samantha Larson's family and the people of Willow Hill, and to his own benefactor, the Magus, would never happen again. Oh, Richie, he was definitely on the side of the angels, at least far as where he believed the book come from and what it could do, you know. He, he, he'd become one of the world's experts on places where there was uh, all kinds of 
supposedly concentrations of doors and, and portals into other worlds, you know, Bermuda Triangle, the mystic headlands, uh, light at the end of the world. But uh, Willow Hill was where he got his start and where he started using the Dark Dome on his own uh, and his own mission, I guess you'd say, to kind of save the world. Professor Joseph Ricci continued his work at Arkham and became involved with international efforts to study doorways, as well as secret military programs such as MKUltra and Project Gatekeeper. In time, he enlisted the help of his daughter, Samantha, by then a promising graduate student herself as his apprentice, both in his research and with the Dark Tome. Throughout the known history of the Dark Tome, even in ancient times, there's this pattern of younger people apprenticing to the possessor of the book. Why is that? Well, it don't have to be about the Dark Tome. You know, young people, they, they like to learn. They, they've been apprenticing to, on a whole bunch of stuff as long as anybody can remember. I don't know if it's got that much to do with just the book. His life work continued to be a focus on the floodgates, doors into dangerous worlds that had been tainted by, or had always belonged to, the Dark Force, which Ricci became increasingly concerned about throughout his life. He began to withdraw from public research, devoting himself entirely to his study of the Dark Force, a force that he was afraid was spreading and destroying all worlds that it could reach. In time, he began to feel that there was a shadowy group or a conspiracy that seemed to be working against him, that was always one step ahead. He began to avoid the university, to guard his research, and to keep the dark tone always with himself. Then came the discovery that shocked him. The floodgates that he had strived to close throughout his life, including the floodgates at Willow Hill, were all being reopened. Clearly, there were forces working against him. He showed up at the house that day. It was just after I got home from high school. And he looked so distraught. I, I, my Grandpa Joe, at least around me, had always been the kind of guy that just never really seemed to worry about much of anything. Everything would be okay. But not that, that day. He just, he looked almost inconsolable. He's, he had said that someone was opening all the floodgates. Uh, he, he said he wanted the dark tome to tell him the truth. But I, I guess he wasn't getting what he was, what he needed. And, and he kept muttering, you know, I, I'm too old or I'm asking it the wrong questions. And he said, I need you to do it, Mary. And he had that book with him, and he handed it to me. And I'll tell you, I was scared. I I told him no. I I said, ask Mom to do it. I was not going to open that book ever again. And I, I just, all I could think about was hearing that huge thing slithering through the woods uh, when I sat on Grandpa Joe's lap when I was a kid, and and I told him so. I, I. I told him I just I wasn't I wasn't comfortable I couldn't do it and then he started to cry I've never seen my grandpa Joe cry before then 
he said, whatever's in those woods is coming. I remember he said this exactly. It's coming and it will come out and eat the world. And he told me he couldn't trust anyone else, even my mom. So uh, we went to the library together and I opened the book for the second and the last time. And I said, tell me the truth of what happened at Willow Hill. That's all I asked. And so the book started to glow and it opened to a story called the floodgates of Willow Hill by Mary San Giovanni. Mary, I thought, Oh, Hey, that's, that's like my name. And I thought maybe that was a sign, you know, and the wall of the library became a forest again, but this time it was a much darker and and uglier looking forest than the one from fairy tales. I mean, this one, everything looked dead, but it was still growing. And there were these sort of ugly looking, I, I don't know if they were flowers or mushrooms, but they just they they billowed up this weird sort of glowing dust and and the place felt like a poison i could feel it in my bones the place felt poisonous to me and i i, I happened to glance at grandpa joe and i saw him flinch like he was slapped in the face but he got up and he walked into those woods alone while I stood there with the dark tome. So I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I, he was gone and I was there with this book and, and I, I felt like he was gone for hours. And the whole time, the whole time he was gone, all I could think about was that there was something out there coming through to eat the world. Like he said, that I kept waiting for that sound, that awful sound that slithering sound of whatever that huge thing was that that had been moving through the woods I, I kept waiting for that sound and and, and I felt sick I, I felt sick I thought if he doesn't come through the woods again I'm going to throw up right here on the library floor I'm going to throw up right here on top of this god-awful book and and who knows what will happen then I, maybe he'll be stuck in there maybe he'll be lost in there and a couple times I thought you know, maybe I should go in after him, but I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't follow him because all I could think about was that awful slithering sound, that God awful thing in the woods. I just, I waited, I waited and I waited. And finally grandpa Joe came back, but he looked different. He looked devastated and he said I tried to save her I tried but I failed I've I've made a terrible mistake did he confide in you what he saw no no he told me his life was in danger and he had to protect me Uh, but he wouldn't tell me what he saw he wouldn't tell me what happened when he was out there in the woods. Uh, we, we did close the book, and, and then he called my mom, Sam, on the phone. He called her right away, and I heard him talking to her. And I overheard him tell her that someone was after the dark tome, 
and that he needed to bring it somewhere safe. Uh, and he told me after he got off the phone that what she said to him was to bring it to the university uh, right away, that it could only be safeguarded there. And if, and only if he would agree to finally let them have it. And I guess for the, for the sake, I mean, he had looked at me, you know, and, and nodded and, you know, finally he agreed on the phone with her that, that he would do that. And I think it was really to protect me. I, I think he thought whatever had happened, this book was some kind of doorway and he had to make sure that it was shut and locked and padlocked and, and put someplace where it wasn't ever going to hurt anybody. And he said he'd get on the road right away and he'd be in Arkham by nightfall. Well, of course, there was always a lot of rumors swirling around that the powers that be up at uh, Miskatonic University wanted to get that book from Richie. He, he got to be quite a big deal with that, and, uh, and they knew it. He'd found this magical artifact, become the crown jewel of the university's research. And, uh, I'm pretty sure they figured they'd be a lot safer if it was in their hands, not his. Then he walked straight past me to his, his big black Cadillac, this big boat of a car that he drove, and I tried to talk to him to tell him I was scared, uh, that I, I didn't know what was going on, and, and he shushed me like someone was there watching us. And I remember that, that made me even more scared because I, I thought, what if something had followed him out of those horrible woods and it was just something I couldn't see? But... He was a man on a mission. He went to the car and came back. And this, when he came back, his arms were filled with notebooks and, and case files and film reels and all kinds of stuff. And it, it was all of his research on doorways. I know, I know that. They, they were labeled. Uh, he brought them to his desk in the library and he, he piled them up uh, on on the desk until they were literally spilling on the floor. Then he started piling up things on the floor and he kept going back. It took several trips and he just filled up the floor space with all of this material on, on doorways. And I remember thinking like, how could there be so much of this information out there? And so many people don't know. How could there be that many doorways? I, I, I sure as hell hope not, you know, but, but he piled it all up on the floor and then he locked the library door behind us and he said, this'll be safe here for now. Then Professor Ricci turned around, the white book in his hands, and told his granddaughter to leave their home and not come back. He said, don't go back into the house, Mary, not until it's gone. He said, I, I, I was, I was so stunned. He just stood there, the book in his hands and, and he wanted me to go. And, and I, I didn't kiss him goodbye. I didn't even say goodbye. I 
I just left the house. I, I remember I, I walked down that long tree-lined driveway and I was kind of in a daze and, and shortly after I, I heard his car coming up behind me and I stopped walking. I thought he was coming to pick me up, that he was coming to tell me he was sorry, that everything was going to be okay. I mean, he'd always told me everything was going to be okay, and uh, he didn't even slow down. Uh, he looked at me as he passed, and I can see his face in my head. Even now, I, I can see it. It was calm, and it was certain, and I saw in his eyes that he loved me, and... I saw that damn white book on the seat next to him, and then he drove past, and he was gone. And I stood there for a long time after his, his taillights disappeared, and was watching where he had been. I guess maybe I was hoping he'd come back. I wanted him to come back. But... He didn't, and, and I stood there. I stood there for a really, God, it was a long time. I mean, it was long enough that the library on the East Wing was just flames, just a pillar of flame by the time I turned around. Yeah, I remember that fire. Wasn't too far from here as the crow flies. They called it a accident. You believe that? The dark tome vanishes with Richie in the car accident, and all his research disappears in the house fire. There's a, more than a little bit suspicious, if you want to ask me about it. What do you suspect? Oh, I'm not sure what I suspect, but I'm just saying, uh, they, them things kind of line up. It feels like there's something else going on than what beats the eye, right? <laughs> Right up front, if you follow my drift here. On Sunday, March 18th, 1979, at exactly 5.03 p.m., Dr. Joseph Ricci's Cadillac DeVille broke through the guardrail of the Highway 95 bridge near Simpson Falls, Maine. There were over a dozen eyewitnesses in nearby cars. None of them can explain what they saw, but most testified that before it left the road and plunged into the icy waters below, the car exploded in green fire. You know, there was witnesses to that accident, and they claimed there was one figure driving that car, and then there were two figures, and they were struggling together. Then the car went off in the canal, and it was gone. Well, there's a lot in there between what really happened. I'm just saying, who really knows? Of all the witnesses, one, a young girl who'd been looking out the passenger side of the car driving next to Professor Ricci, testified that the second figure in the car had no face, and that the instant before the car went over the side of the bridge that it gripped a large white book in its hands. Over 40 years after his death, there are still no conclusive answers to the fate of either Dr. Joseph Ricci or the dark tome. 
No bodies or book were pulled from the wreckage of his car that had sunk to the bottom of the Sebastocook River. But some things are certain. Ricci's lifetime of research into both the phenomenon of supernatural doorways and of the dark force beyond some of them is gone. A tragedy even more famous in the history of supernatural research than perhaps even the dark tome itself. Based on Mary's own testimony, it was determined that Ricci had secretly removed most of his own research from the university archives in the days before his death, and that it was destroyed in the fire that consumed his personal library and half of his estate. All that remains for those of us that follow the trail he blazed in paranormal investigation are his published works on the nature of supernatural doorways. The bulk of what was once known has been lost. Samantha Larson, Dr. Ricci's adopted daughter, now herself chair of the linguistics department at Miskatonic University, declined to be interviewed by our show. But she did grant us access to what little remains of Ricci's published work, including this archival footage taken from a 1974 speech by Dr. Ricci five years before his death. And so I come before you now with the direst of warnings. As you know, I have dedicated my life to studying what lies beyond these gates, and though these other worlds may be enchanting or dangerous, their danger is nothing compared to the evil that lies beyond, that seeks to consume all worlds, including our own. With the grace of God, we must fight it together. In the bottom of the frame, in his hands, is the smooth white shape of a book. The only known image on film of what may be the dark tome itself. Do you believe, Ricci, that there's some dark force beyond these worlds that is dangerous? It don't, it don't come to believing or not believing, Ricci. The point is... There's a lot of dark stuff in the world. If you're paying attention, you've had experience with it. I certainly have, and and you can call it call it Satan, satanic. You can call it devil worship. You can call it anything you want, but the, they're just words because we're trying to grapple with expressing something bigger than we can understand, something we can't really get a hold of. So, of course, there's dark forces. We we feel them. If you haven't been impacted, if it hasn't changed your life in some major way, you're not paying attention. Your grandfather believed that there was a dark force beyond our world that wanted to enter it and possess it. Do you believe that's true? Yes, I do. I do. Uh I know that a lot of times um, fairy tales were, were written to teach kids about danger and to help them process the world around them as, as being a dangerous place. And, and Grimm's fairy tales, I mean, they, ne they never shied away from the ugliness of the world. But what I think is out there is what the fairy tales only hint at what goes far beyond the wolf in the woods i i really believe that there is is something out there that 
that wants to hurt us. Something that, as my grandfather said, wants to eat the world. And I hope to God I never come across it. Because I'm not so sure that there is anything else out there in other worlds that could protect us from it. You are a rare bookstore owner, right here in the town where Ricci lived and where the dark tome disappeared. What would you do if it reappeared today, right here in your hands? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, I, I, well, what would anybody do? I mean, we're in a, a place where the dark tome has been, but uh, what would anybody do with it? Uh, it's a powerful thing, that's all. It's a powerful thing. Does the dark tome still exist? Well, <laughs> look, uh, uh, why wouldn't it? Let's put it this way. Why, why would anybody think something that has been around, as far as anybody can tell, centuries, generations, lifetimes, in and out of people's hands, far as back as anybody can remember. Why wouldn't it be around? But let me tell you something, Chummy. I'd be a little cautious as you go forward looking into the dark tome. Mary, you are, as far as anyone knows, one of the last people, if not the last person, to see the book. Do you think the dark tome still exists? No. It's gone. It's gone. Along with my grandfather. They're both gone. Did the book meet its end in the fatal car accident that claimed the life of Joseph Ricci? What of his warnings of a great evil that may exist somewhere beyond the floodgates? The world may never know. In the intervening years since Ricci's death, rumors have surfaced that the dark tome still exists, that it was found at an estate sale, that it was discovered by a teenage witch, or is in the hands of a powerful cabal, or is housed safely in the secret archives of the Vatican. But like its enigmatic origins, there may be no truth that we can ever know about the curious history of the dark tome and the evil that it foretold. Thank you for taking this journey into the unknown with me. Special thanks to Joseph Ricci's granddaughter, Mary Larson, and Mr. Gussie of Gussie's Books. And now, an update to our story. I'm Christopher Reynaga, and the episode you just listened to, The Curious History of the Dark Tome, was first released three years ago. In the time since this was broadcast, new rumors about the Dark Tome and its continued existence have come to disturbing light. Like many things surrounding the Dark Tome legend throughout history, it begins and ends with a fire. Nine months ago, Will Bergussi, the expert on occult books that Point Mystic consulted for the history of the Dark Tome, went missing in a blaze that destroyed Gussie's books in Simpson Falls, Maine. His body 
was not found. Neither was the body of a missing high school girl that he was rumored to have abducted, a girl named Cassie Sullivan. On the day the fire broke out, police had been called to Gussie's books to search the premises and arrest him on suspicion of endangering a minor and kidnapping. Before Cassie's disappearance, she'd confided to her high school guidance counselor that Wilbur Gussie was in possession of a powerful magical book that could open doorways to other worlds, and that he was teaching her to use it. Was this book the Liber Tenebris? The Dark Tome? Or was it one of dozens of other famous magical books that we've investigated that have been known to open supernatural doorways, like the De Wermis Mysterious and the Necronomicon Ex Mortis? We do not know. Wilbur Gussie is currently reported as a missing person by the Maine State Police. Like the strange disappearance of Dr. Joseph Ricci that began our tale, he too has vanished without a trace. Then, last month, Simpson Falls, Maine made national headlines. The surgical wing of Sebastocook River General Hospital burnt to the ground in a five-alarm fire that could not be affected by water or chemical retardants. A fire so hot that it appeared to burn pure white. Nurses and patients of the wing described an apparition of a young woman standing in the center of the burning ward, an ethereal white book in her hands, from which poured light and flame. Who was this mysterious figure? Are either of these strange events in Simpson Falls related to the disappearance of the dark tome in this town 40 years ago? We may never know the truth, but there's one thing that we have learned that may be certain about the dark tome itself. That is the final event that compelled us to update this episode for you now. A recent phone call from Mary Larson, Professor Ricci's granddaughter. I have, I have oh, to tell you something. Mary, hold on. I'm, I'm switching on the phone recorder, all right? I have to tell you something. Uh, I lied about the book. Grandpa didn't have it with him the night he died in the car accident. I I think he meant to burn it in the library with all of his notes and, and research. I, I think his trip to the university was a distraction to, to keep people that wanted it from stopping the fire in the house. It, it must have been our family Bible he took with him in the car. Not that it did him any good. When he told me to leave, he told me to never forget the story of the Golden Phoenix from the Brothers Grimm. Don't forget it, Mary, he said, and I, I thought he meant the monsters slithering in the woods. I I didn't know what he really meant until I I, I, I found it. I found the dark tome in the ashes of the, the library. It, it wasn't there before, but I watched it come back from its own ashes three days after he died. Like like a phoenix I, I saw it happen and I didn't want anything to do with it I was only 16 years old I, I, I put it in the big piles of furniture and things for the estate sale and when mother sold the house and the book went away the book just went away why are you telling me this the, the dark tome 
it's come back. It's come back to me. Right here in Simpson Falls, I I found it, or or it found me, and it wants to tell me a story. Mary, listen to me. I've opened a doorway. I'm leaving this book behind. I don't need it anymore. I'm walking into the dark woods. I'm going to find out what's making that terrible sound, that slithering. Can you hear that? That crunching? I'm going to find out what's coming to eat the world. I'm going to find out for Grandpa Joe. Mary, can you hear me? Mary? All of the knowledge once known about the doorways to other worlds and of the dark force that Dr. Joseph Ricci warned the world against is now lost to us. Those of us who investigate the supernatural must continue to rebuild his legacy. Research into supernatural doorways and the places where they're concentrated must continue. But some artifacts that are associated with those doorways may be too dangerous, as dangerous as the dark force that may lay beyond some of those doors. Only one thing is certain. Somewhere out there, the dark tome does still exist. Waiting. thank you for taking this journey into the unknown with me. I'm Christopher Reynaga. If you enjoy Point Mystic, then we'd love for you to take the journey and find our community at pointmystic.org community. There really is a secret of Point Mystic, one that you can be a part of. And once you've joined us, please consider supporting Point Mystic. You can gain access to early releases, bonus episodes, and special patron-only content. Find out more at pointmystic.org slash community. This episode of Point Mystic, The Curious History of the Dark Tome, Part 2, Apocalyptic Endings, was written and produced by myself, featuring characters from the audio drama The Dark Tome by Fred Greenhalge and the short story, The Floodgates of Willow Hill, by Mary San Giovanni. Story development and script editing by Marguerite Croft. Mary San Giovanni's latest novel, Beyond the Gate, is available now. The Dark Tome Season 3, Simpson Falls, written by Fred Greenhalgh, will be released 
this coming year. Mary San Giovanni is the voice of Mary Larson. Tim Sample is the voice of Mr. Gussie. Jim Hatlow is the voice of Dr. Joseph Ricci. Our episode includes the original score for The Dark Tome, Febriar, by Peter Van Reet. Episode music by Blue Dot Sessions. This episode is distributed as a Shared Worlds Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International, which means don't sell it, but do share it with your friends. Make community and make art together. Next time on Point Mystic, in the waves beneath the lighthouse, Fox encounters one of Point Mystic's most famous and least seen creatures. Is it a protector of the town, as local legends say? Or is it the harbinger of something dangerous? On the next episode of Point Mystic, stay with us. What are you? Who are you? I'm Christopher. Christopher Renaga from Point Mystic. This is this is my dog Agatha. What what is this place? You're in the Wildwood Forest. It's okay. You're safe. How did you know I would end up here when I walked through the door? I didn't. It was a hunch. But when you told the book where you wanted to go, you did say you wanted to find out what dark thing is coming to eat the world. Welcome to Point Mystic. <laughs>